dealing with depression is is kind of the thing I want to spend the rest of my life on to the extent that I can do something other than um, try to make money. And because it's um, sort of at the edge of my understanding, I always feel like there's so much more that I don't understand about it. Yeah. And I feel like I'm like emptying, trying to empty the ocean with a bucket or something, but because yeah. um, there's just so many ways that people get into it and it's just such a complex thing. But mm-hmm. that's why it's also why it's kind of exciting to talk about because no one really talks about it. Um, I mean, people do, but like there's just a huge um, need for people to talk about it in a way that doesn't end in pills, I guess. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to like officially start now. No, you're good, man. Um, Hello and welcome to the Not A Victim podcast. Not A Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. This week's guest is Jacob Scott Moore. Or just Jacob Moore, I think. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) I went by his Facebook name because that's how we know each other now. But um, yeah, so just um, tell me a bit about your... I already know this stuff because I've known him a long time. But just tell me a little bit about the environment that you were born into and, and raised in, I guess. So my dad has been a pastor for my entire life. When I was born, he was a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. And now he is the uh, the lead pastor mm-hmm. of East Ridge Community Church in Covington. And my wife and daughter, all three of us still go there. Yeah. And so I literally grew up in church. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was also a pastor when I was young, and those were the the worst years of my life I think he he they were he he was very unhealthy during that time and yeah um at the end of that he had a sort of uh mental breakdown and then went into celebrate recovery and yeah. then became this very healthy person and and me and him are doing better now than, than we ever did then awesome. but is there anything from your upbringing that sort of unintentionally encouraged that not that you know not that you were raised in some um, terrible situation, but just yeah. things that might have that later played a role in some way. Yeah, I definitely lived a life where I think depression you would never expect it. Looking back now, I, I know that both sides of my family have severe depression and anxiety. Mm. But growing up in a Christian family and being young. Growing up in a church, I mean, really, just growing up in a church, you start to see young children get baptized because it's the right thing to do. So I specifically remember five, six, seven years old making the decision to get baptized because it was time to do it. My friends were doing it. Yeah. But I didn't understand why there was supposed to be a God, how there could be a God. I didn't understand why we needed a Savior, how we could be filled. I you know, I was five, six, seven years old. I yeah. was pretty decent. You know, I didn't feel wretched or anything. Right. <laughs> and so for me, my anxiety started with a lie. And that lie was, I understand this and I am this. Right. And so then just growing up with that anxiety already in my head, it just... With like a um, sort of overbearing uh, fear of God or something? No, I think... It, no, because I really, for a long time, I didn't believe in God at all just because not oh, okay. I didn't choose not to believe in him it just right I didn't believe in him until I felt like I needed someone to blame for the way I felt hmm. and that's when I thought God I'm gonna blame you for this you put me here with this with that with these people and you're the one I'm gonna blame now yeah how old were you when you started to like notice that you were dealing with it fifth grade I was diagnosed with a heart condition 
Mm. And the condition was brought on by severe stress or anxiety. Mm. And that was when I realized, because I'm living this fake life that's causing me stress, it's starting to really take a physical toll on me now. Yeah. Do you think the fact that you were, you know, the kid of a pastor that, um, you know, you just have a lot of, you feel like you're under a microscope even if people don't care. Most people don't care if you live or die, but you do, or I did, feel like I was always under a microscope just because of that um, position or whatever. That definitely could be it, but because I never haven't been a pastor's kid. Right. I don't know what not right, being right, this right. feels like. Yeah, so it's hard to... <laughs> that makes sense, actually. <laughs> yeah, that that's crazy that you, there's no context for what the other thing feels like, I guess. <laughs> um, so we were talking about this before we started recording, but you weren't one of those people, because I, I know your family a little bit, and, you know, not one of those people where you had this horrific life that was necessarily filled with tragedy or whatever, and so... You know, when you do go through depression and you and your home life is okay and you do have food and um, your parents are good people and you don't, like, you don't really have a story for why it's happening. And, um, again, I, I said this a minute ago, but in a way, the fact that, for me, the fact that everything on the outside was okay made me feel even more irrelevant to life at all I just it made me feel more meaningless that I that everything was fine with or without me that I didn't felt feel like I really my life served any purpose in any direction yeah the other thing was as I started to deal with it I was 15 and I hid it and I always thought that my parents would push through like that they would see that I wasn't okay and that they would push through that wall and that they would like reach out to me and they didn't do that yeah I told them I was fine they believed me and that was the end of that and so it was very entitled from where I was sitting to think that they were supposed to read my mind and you know um, drop everything that they were dealing with and just you know get into my head but that is where I was at that time yeah and it was for me it started because of a of this like first breakup um and I felt very um, morally rigid, um, and I was much more on the straight and narrow than pretty much anyone I knew. And there are a lot of great things that come from that, and so I don't want to um, throw that under the bus. Um, and hopefully in many ways now I'm still trying to do that um, because there are many great things that come from that. But um, I did feel like the weight of the world was on my shoulders and that um, that I was kind of holding God up, um, or that I was in some way that I was the, you know, just the world was on my shoulders and that I couldn't fail or whatever. Yeah. And that, um, and because as I grew up in church, people always said it's faith and not works or whatever. But then right after that, they would say, but that doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want, which is another way of saying it actually is works. We just don't have the balls to say that. And um, so, yeah, so I sort of internalized that and just tried to um, make that my identity or whatever. Yeah. And there are a lot of good intentions there. Um, I don't, I'm sure that there were some bad intentions there too, but it was mostly really um, trying to do right. And then 
when, but it, so then when this, um, my first like relationship came in the picture, which wasn't even really a real relationship, this just, I just like felt this kind of compassion or this kind of love that I had never had that door open before. And so I was like so taken back by that experience. Yeah. Um, that I, that it became very unhealthy, that, um, it started to like be the reason I was alive because now I had this like special attention from someone whereas in normal life I didn't feel um it was just nothing like that yeah and so I didn't know how to do it right or wrong just because I'd never done it before and you know we didn't even really have this like real relationship it just I was just so like in my head that it just started to mean more and more and more to me Mm -hmm. and become less and less healthy and then um, and then she ended it after a while and rather than just being boned about that for a while and then going back to normal I became you know really depressed and started after a while to start started to feel suicidal and stuff yeah and how long did um, that last? so I felt super depressed for about two months every day and I worked with my dad during that time I still do and I was crying every day and 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 hiding it behind glasses and stuff and it always worked like no one ever saw it yeah. but um i had to hide it because i had to prove to myself that i wasn't doing it for a show and that i wasn't doing it for attention but mm-hmm. that i was really um in a place of pain and anyway when after several months of that i like i just got tired of it and I want to ask you more about this, but for me, there I had sort of I'd walked deliberately into a miserable comfort zone because there were some positive rewards from it. That in a miserable comfort zone, even though that's where my emotional pain was, it was it was like a way that I could convince myself that the pain I was feeling was real. Because when you feel that way, and then everyone around you stays normal and they don't change at all yeah. and they don't care at all and they don't even know and they don't even care to know um, the world is telling you that it doesn't matter and so like then you start to feel embarrassed that I was feeling <laughs> so um, that I was in so much pain so then I would walk over and over again I would live in this viscerally emotional place just by myself so that because it was the one place that uh I could like convince myself that this pain is so painful that there's no way it's not real and um, but in doing that um, I had like made this little altar of that place and it had become like my own little god or something yeah that too that um, that after a while I started to like fall out of love with being in that place and it didn't serve that purpose anymore I got tired of being tired and I just like it wasn't it didn't serve this like blackly romantic um, purpose that it at first did and I just fell out of love with my own head you can like think your way into depression like if I was too isolated now or cut out the people that are pouring into me and stuff like I could go right back there and I think I'm actually the personality type that could very easily be diagnosed schizophrenic or any number of those kind of things if I spent enough time in my own head. Yeah. Um, and I don't have a problem saying that 
because my personality type has upsides that others don't and like every personality type so it's just is what it is after a few months the I fell out of love with being in that miserable comfort zone I didn't enjoy it anymore I was done with that I was sick of it and um, and then God opened my eyes that that if I died now everything moves on like people on Facebook will make it like a a local story for like a week and then everyone will go back to normal (laughs) and you know your parents and a few other people they'll never be the same but everyone else is just window shopping so don't put the value of your life on their shoulders because they don't care and it's not a problem that they're that way I don't care about them that much either (laughs) so like if they are really stressed out and can't sleep I'll sleep fine if I'm really stressed out and can't sleep they'll sleep fine and it's supposed to be that way I heard someone say um that if you could feel everyone's pain, you know, you'd never get out of bed. That mm-hmm. it's a healthy thing that we can't feel all of each other's pain. Um, anyway, it was a way of, like, God breaking my big fish, small pond, like, thinking where I couldn't see anything but negative. I couldn't see anything but the pain that I was feeling at that time. No one else mattered. Nothing else mattered. Yeah. There, there was no other way of living. There was nothing but me and the pain that I was going through. And so the weird thing about depression is that it's half like self-hatred. It's half like self-obsession. And so it's this weird like mixture of things. Because on one hand, you want to call out the self-obsession and say, you know, life will go on with or without you. So be a part of something that will outlive you. Um, And then on the part that is self-hatred, you don't want to go too harsh on that on people that are dealing with that part and so it's like a weird tightrope but it is yeah um anyway let's talk about just your headspace going getting into depression how do you think you went from you know not not being in a place where you dealt with that to when you're at the peak of that like what is what are the things that led you into that um to the extent that you're aware of them well, I believe depression finally hit me. I think my anxiety, which some people say anxiety and depression are completely different. Some say anxiety is a symptom of depression. But I definitely felt depression hit when I was in ninth grade. And it hit pretty heavy to the point where I was actually, I was diagnosed with mono hmm. in ninth grade. But the only mono symptoms I had were also symptoms of depression. And, you know, just fatigue... Uh, muscle soreness, just aches in my bones, and just a lack of any sort of social interaction. Right. And it, I, I don't know if you've ever been diagnosed with mono or anything like that, but uh-huh. it's a blood test. Right. But the doctor told me that mo- not most people, a lot of people have mono in their blood. They get it when right. they're babies, and then it's dormant the okay. rest of your life. And so I, my theory now is, I can't prove this, I can't prove it either way, is yeah. that I wasn't I didn't have mono in high school. I was chronically depressed. Right. Because I just... Those symptoms of depression never went away. And it just stayed those symptoms. It never, you know, escalated to the full mono type symptoms. Right. And so, Why yeah. do you think you were so isolated? Like, were you physically isolated or were you just standoffish to I, people? Or, and if you were standoffish to people, why did you have those walls? Like, when did they go up? I started having night terrors. Hmm. in ninth grade uh, brought on by anxiety and they lasted pretty much throughout high school and it got to the point to where I was 
fairly delusional with it. I think one, just the constant terror anytime I fell asleep, and two, I tried to avoid sleep as much as I could. Yeah. So now I'm, you've got an anxious, depressed teenager who yeah. isn't sleeping. Right. And I, I, my mind was just a mess. And so I, I really didn't want... I, it was impossible for me to have physical relationships. I definitely wanted the attention of, of girls in high school, but yeah. I was incapable of touching. I didn't want to be touched because in my head, every time I fell asleep, there were these violent night terrors that I saw. And What do you think caused them? You know what I mean? Like, I really think it was just my mind for eight years, I guess, was incredibly anxious and I think it was just a war zone a battle zone up there I think I mean I, I do think a lot of it was probably spiritual warfare but I also think a lot of it was anxiety and depression I mean it's just some of the things that you can get when you deal with those two things yeah I just mean like there's like there have got to be things before that that encourage it you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it, there are reasons why it happens usually that um you know, some part of you is being neglected, or you're like suppressing something. You have some kind of um, self hatred, or you have, or you're dealing with like nihilism, or this sort of like yeah. nothing means anything and uh, everything is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, I don't think I think all of that is is pretty normal. But um, yeah, do you do you like? To the extent you can see under the hood of of all of it, like what do you what are the root of those things? For me, to I, the extent you know, I do think I was born with a chemical imbalance. I think I got that from both sides of my family, and also at this point, ninth grade, I'm still living a lie. I'm still telling my family, everyone around me, the church, my friends, that I'm this good Christian guy. When at this point, ninth grade, I hate God. I hate the idea of God. I think I feel betrayed by God at this point because I feel like he put me in a family I don't belong in. He put me in a family where for some reason my mind can't click. It can't get that last little click and love him the way I see others love him. Yeah. What what made you feel like you didn't fit in in your family? Just that right there really just the inability to under, and, I mean, I don't. I, I still don't fully understand God, obviously, but mm-hmm. for some reason, my mind was incapable of becoming holy. Like the the minds I saw in my family and all around me, mm-hmm. and from I mean, it was obviously the lack of Christ making me holy and sanctifying me. But it's hard to just suddenly. For me, I, I think I'm a very hands-on person, mm-hmm. and it was. I just, it never happened middle school. And I lied about it. And so I, I wasn't, there was no part of me that was real. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where my anxiety and depression started at. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it lasted for until I was 19. And at this point, I was living with my grandparents. And I was very much alone, even more so than I had been growing up. I had dropped out of college. Mm. I was addicted to cigarettes. I was becoming addicted to alcohol. Mm. And 
I, I mean, I was just at the lowest point of my life, and I ended up attempting suicide mm. um, one night. My grandparents were on vacation, and I just gathered as many prescription pills as I could and downed them, and surprise, surprise, it didn't work. But mm. about four or five months after that, I, I just realized that on my own, I was only destructive. And so I, I ended up going hiking for about a month, and it was a really good, I think, self-discovery uh, time that I needed. And I realized, I remember telling Kurt Peterson um, after the hike, I said, man, I'm not a Christian, but I now know that alone I can only be a slave to sin. And that's, I mean, I, I, I tried my hardest to pick the things that I thought were good, and I couldn't do it. I can't. I'm incapable. And so that's when I really started meeting with Greg Miller. Remember Greg mm-hmm. Miller? Yeah. And just one-on-one counseling for the first time in my life, being mm-hmm. completely honest. And I think that's what I really needed was just honesty. I think that's just why I was so screwed up growing up is because everything was a lie. Yeah, and that comes from being the son of a pastor that, again, you're still the son of a pastor, so you don't know the other way. <laughs> but the other way is much calmer when your dad's not a pastor. Like, it just it is. is. Yeah, no, it makes but, sense. um... So, yeah, you just have expectations on you when you are. And um, even, and one thing I want to make clear is yeah. that if I had been honest, I would have been just as loved by my family, right. just as accepted, and right. I would have been uh, capable of helping. Right. Yeah, so it's not like, you know, it's not like they did it to you. Yeah. It's just like a suppression more than oppression. Oh, yeah. Um, And I think that's, uh, that's very common in... Um, the weird thing about talking about this kind of stuff is there's so many people that are so overly emotional and live their whole life that way, and I have so little respect for them in any way. But for many people, we need to be a little bit more in tune with where our uh, emotions are and all that stuff. Yeah. And so, like, you know, let me put it this way. When I'm listening to people go like, and I had to get in touch with my feelings, I'm just like, <laughs> oh, like, you are this you are the most annoying type of person like (laughs) I would avoid you at all costs like you're the type of person that is bothered by everything I just hate your type of person right (laughs) but that's not that's not this scenario this is the opposite end you know you were on the opposite end of the spectrum where everything is being suppressed where you're not integrating all of your feelings with your experience and all that everything is being like bottled up and that that's what did it for me too that um, again I had this like internal idea that I was sort of propping up the world um, and I was just really really trying to do right and but as a result um, I just felt like um, the world lived or died on my shoulders I guess and so anyway so for me I think we we sort of build a conception of the world of our own little world and then something, depression or some event happens that breaks that. Yeah. And then we like, so then we go into like chaos mode because our our view of the world broke and as a result our view of ourself broke. Like everything is like we're back in the wild west now <laughs> and <laughs> anything goes. Yeah. <laughs> I know someone right now who is going through depression and he had his son moved away to college and he was really, really close to his son. And so it's like really rocking the boat um, that he's gone now. And, you know, I was thinking today, it's not that he lost like one of his closest friends because he did. 
it's more so that he taught his son everything his son knows about everything. Yeah. So now that his son doesn't need him anymore, he's just not useful in that way anymore. Yeah. He doesn't feel like he serves that purpose anymore. He has to reorganize um, how he's still useful to the world because one of the main things that he poured all of his life into doesn't need him. And... Um, and whether it's that or a spouse cheating or just something, any number of things that, that bring it on. And um, I'm trying to think, this might be uh, a little unrelated, but I also think that a lot of times something tragic will happen to us and we'll bury it. And then um, we can't, we don't know where to go with it because if you bring it up to nice church people, they act like you're their sick puppy and that you need their you need like pats on the head or whatever and they're yeah. like weirdly overly nice and you know it's fake and they know it's fake and you both know it's fake and it's weird coping mechanism for them to not have to like get down on your level with you mm -hmm. because they want to stay like on the surface and you're way down here and so you kind of scare them by being like on a much more serious level than they want to go right now and um so so what they do is they just like act super duper nice like they would never ever <laughs> struggle with anything yeah and then you know that it's they'll say that uh, not i'll pray for you yeah you like know it's not genuine they yeah. know it's not genuine it's so weird and then um the other extreme obviously is looking to the world around you which tells you that no one cares at all yeah and like that isn't quite right like you can tell that it's so painful that it does matter somewhere and so um, a huge thing for me has been Celebrate Recovery, which is a weekly thing that happens at churches all over the world. And um, it's like one of very few places where, as you know, as I walk in that room, everyone has been through the type of things that I have or worse, and no one is overly sympathetic, no one is underly sympathetic. They're just like right in the shoes that you're in. Yeah. And so... Um, your two things happen. Your pain is like acknowledged as being something that did happen and something that is important, but it's not like it's not overly sentimental. So it's genuine. Like you know, you it's like you could run really fast for a short period of time, or you could jog for a long period of time. And so this is that kind of thing where people are acknowledging the pain that you're going through, but they're doing it in a reserved enough way where you're like these people will be this nice five years from now like yeah. this is how people would actually act if they cared but they didn't overly care or whatever like they just really are um in the boat you're in and so last thing i want to say about depression is that um it just like for me to come out of it i had to um my ego had to like break totally and yeah. i had to get to a really desperate place before that happened like, I, I took a lot, like, I withstood a lot of pain before letting that happen. And I just got to where I just didn't care about anything. I just wanted to be out of the shoes I was in. And my I did not care about protecting my image anymore. And I had every moment until then, all those two months, every day of those two months, I still wanted to keep the image I had had. Yeah. And, um, and that kept it going. But eventually the pain was just too much weight. And I just said, I don't care about anything. I just want this over. And then when that broke, it was my eyes finally opened that there were other people that lived much healthier than I did. 
and that maybe if I listened a little bit to how they did normal life, yeah, maybe I could have some of what they had. And I like it. It humbled me, and I was finally humble enough that I listened to anything new. That like I wasn't my I wasn't the king of my tiny little world, and I was just this tiny piece of a, a big world. And then that does two things. One, you start to take in information <coughs> about how things could be better. Yeah. And um, which is really encouraging because now you're going, oh, some people aren't really depressed right now. That's great. That means that maybe I don't have to be. Um, and then it kind of like immediately holds your feet to the fire that now now let's do something. Like you, you're doing a, you're doing a, you just started a blog, right? About depression. Yeah. That like once you're out, you just feel like, and you know that you're a tiny piece of, of a huge puzzle, you just feel this like urgency to like make your life count because otherwise we will just be window shopping with each other yeah and then we'll both just get old and die but so let's really to the extent we can let's really try to um invest in the things that will outlive us yeah and the thing the very few things that are actually meaningful and um that pain has a way of just reorganizing everything but last thing I want to say about this is that I had to relearn how to be curious because I lived so long as being very cynical and um, that was tied in with my sense of humor and stuff is like I was just purely cynical all the time mm -hmm. and so again it it's like if you're trying to be funny it's like part of how you do that but um, but that so I didn't understand how to enjoy anything so because I was so cynical and so jaded or whatever and I thought that was cool and I thought I was cool because I was that way Yeah. Um, that I had to <laughs> again I had to finally break down and go like some people actually enjoy stuff in a way that I do not experience so I had to like relearn how to like enjoy something I'm still like this is what I still work on this all the time like how to feel enthusiastic about something how to enjoy <laughs> something small like a movie or whatever like how to actually like something like how to um to see like little bits of good where it is yeah and um to maybe be open to the fact that some people see way more of that and that they are that's more where they live and that if i lived more how they do i could do that too yeah absolutely. and that um so yeah so i learned i'm trying to like unlearn cynicism that i spent so many years thinking I was cool for uh -huh. and um, I've said this before on the podcast but so I just started <laughs> doing stuff like I listened to like 10 hours of podcasts by these guys that um, that the podcast is about hunting and I don't care about hunting at all what's it called but it's called the meat eater podcast I it's listen, on, I've never okay. hunted in my life okay. I listen to the same podcast. <laughs> okay okay because those guys are really um, they're really devout to hunting they are and they speak very like um they just speak really intelligently and like they've really spent hours and hours and hours and years caring about hunting and every tiny aspect yeah. of it. And again, like just the fact that they could feel that way that strongly about something, I just thought, I don't know nothing about this. I don't know anything about this way of living where you are so into something that you want to learn every little detail about it. Yeah. And I don't understand how to feel this way. And so anyway, so just listening to that and taking um, little clues like you know when you do find someone that you think is much more internally calm than you are like try to pick up on little details about them like 
um, you know, if someone's talking about movies and they go, oh, I don't watch horror movies or whatever, like, every time they give a little hint about the way they live in a way that's different than how you live, if you're in a place where you're down and out, like, latch onto that and go, okay, well, let's, let's just try the little things they do different than me. Let's try it because I don't like what I've been getting. And, um, and clearly someone does it different because not everyone is as full of self-hatred and dread as I am. <laughs> and, you know, for a while, again, for a long time, I was kind of bleakly in love with that feeling and with being... Oh, yeah, I get with that. With being like... Uh, this like sort of martyr or something yeah. and being this person that was like in, in my head I was like much more emotionally intact um, aware and like I could feel what I was feeling my pain so viscerally that it was just I could tell that not everyone felt things that strongly and yeah. I don't know but there, for whatever reason there was some there were several positive things that it did for me um and that that became my new identity. Um, and then after a while, again, I just fell out of love with that. I just said, I just don't, it's not doing it anymore. I don't care. I just want this to be over now. And I'll do anything. <laughs> I yeah. don't care. I just want this to be over. I know other people aren't this way. And so let's just take something they have that we don't, that I don't have. Because clearly some people aren't like this. And, um, the humility that comes from pain, you know, it is. It was not my morality that that brought that. It was just the pure weight of the the pain that came over several months um, or and maybe years, but um, just eventually broke. And it's really important to to like know that some people don't want to be helped right now, and they haven't just they just haven't broke yet, and you just can't do that for them. Yeah. Um, because I just. I my whole image like went out the window. I just said, "This is way too painful to care about that." I don't I don't care about anything but um, about protecting anything about the way that people see me. Yeah. Because again, God brought up to me that those people don't care if you live or die. So try to go deep with people because if you go wide, you'll everything will be shallow. Yeah. So you know don't don't think they're gonna give you a reason to live. They don't care. And you don't care about them, and they don't care about you like that. So don't put this on them. It's just not, that's not where it goes. And um, so let's talk about um, ways that you stay healthy now. So this is obviously, like talking about stuff you deal with is obviously a huge way to stay really um, healthy, or it is for me anyway. Just yeah. talking about, just talking about it is, is a huge piece of the puzzle. Uh -huh. um, but... Yeah, let's just talk about the ways that your day-to-day -day is different now than it was then. And you talked about going to see Greg Miller. But any small things like that that someone who is in the middle of it right now yeah. could could latch onto and say, maybe I'll try that. I haven't tried that. Well, all that, that was about eight years ago now. Um, yeah, eight or nine years ago. And my life is, is dramatically different now. Uh, meeting with Greg eventually led me to Christ mm. which was a total life change but I'm still prone to go into depression and deal with anxiety and so I do need simple steps that I can follow good healthy habits that I can follow that 
just make me a more healthier person and give me a healthier mind. Yeah. And so that that is largely what the blog is about. Yeah. Just about simple stuff. And honestly, it's things that will benefit people who who never will deal with depression. Yeah. It's just good. I mean, a lot of it. I'll just go through the steps. Step yeah. one is nutrition. Step two is um, exercise. Step yeah. three, sleep. Step four mm. is a good, healthy social life. Mm. Step five, spirituality. Step six, goals. Step seven, purpose. Mm. And for me, I mean, if I just abandoned every healthy habit I have, I would have to start over with nutrition. Mm. When I'm depressed, I crave sugar. I crave crap. I've got to just cut it out, stick with good protein, good Mm. vegetables. Step two, I need to start exercising. I got to get in the gym. I got to go for a walk. I got to do something. I got to get my blood pumping. Start sweating all that bad stuff in me. Yeah. And you said nor- to get out of your head and to get into your body. Oh, yeah. And then normally, once you get nutrition and um, exercise, once you have good healthy habits with those, good sleep starts to follow that. Mm. And if it doesn't, there are things that you can do, things that I'm going to write about on the blog just from avoiding electronics an hour or two before bedtime, setting a bedtime. So many mm. of us don't have a bedtime. We yeah. push it on our kids. But for some reason, we think we can abandon it or adults. We need it. We yeah. need a good bedtime. I heard someone, a psychologist, say the other day that, like, if you just don't get up the same time every day, that your rhythm is way off. And oh, he yeah. said that he had patients come to him all the time. And the first thing he would say to them is, whatever you do, just wake up at the same time every day. And we'll just go from there. Yep. And, and the food thing. Um, that he would address the food and then making them get up at the same time every day. And he said a lot of them, like, that was all they needed. Like, that they just felt way better after just giving their mind and body a rhythm. Like, this is what yeah. we always do. We always do this over and over again. Absolutely. And that um, it also gives you a bit more of a longer, like, vision. When you do feel like you're in rhythm, you feel like, oh, I can start, like, planning a little bit. Yeah. And that the opposite is also true. That when everything, when there's no rhythm, you just feel like everything is a must is a short-term decision. We've got to act right now because we don't know if tomorrow will exist. We don't know if it will be good. We dread tomorrow, so it, let's just live for the moment, live fast, die young type of... Um, yeah. And that that everything, just hell comes with that. Like, everything yeah. bad comes with that. And um, that's so... All of these things are so helpful. All right, let's go through the rest of them. So um, those are the first three, I think. Yeah, so talk about... Also, yeah, like you said, I, I, do, I wake up every morning at the same time. I think that is huge. It also helps me go to bed about the same time every night. Mm. Step four, good, healthy relationships. Like you said, just going deep with people. Um, so what about someone who is sort of, uh, you know, they just they just don't have that and they're very scared of that. You know what I mean? Like before I was married, I would make myself eat in a restaurant by myself every once in a while. Like I would make myself talk to strangers as a way of saying like, I just I have to do this. I have to be a someone who a human that could talk to other humans like. Yeah. And so, uh, I also once every once in a while I would ask a girl out via Instagram out of the blue, and I would know that she wasn't going to say yes, and they <laughs> never ever did say yes. That wasn't the point. The point was I have so much fear associated with doing this because I've been dropped in my head yeah. that I'm going to keep doing it so that every time I do it get rejected and then don't die and in fact feel normal again yeah that the more i do that cycle of things and the more i at at the end feel okay again the less this thing scares me and when i did finally meet my wife i had like i was so not scared of her dropping me on my head because it had just happened so many times that i just thought like 
it'll, it's going to be all right. Like, yeah. I've been down this road so many times that, you know, I really like her. I want her to like me. But um, but I'm going to be okay either way. Yeah. And I'm not going to die if she doesn't. And because of that, I wasn't super weird on our first date or whatever. <laughs> and that, that attributed greatly. But we have this idea of to always choose comfort, to always protect ourselves. And in fact, we need to kind of manipulate ourselves into doing what we should do, not what we want to do. Yeah. Um, so make yourself talk to strangers. You know, it's the thing about phones. Like, because we have a phone now, we can go on Facebook and talk to a friend from high school that lives in another state and ignore the stranger standing next to us. Yeah, it's true. If we didn't have the phone, we'd ha- we would talk to the stranger. And we now have the new friend that we don't have now. Um, and then the other weird thing social media does is that I don't think we're, it makes us unhappy because we see people bragging. I think when we see people bragging, it reminds us that everyone is just as insecure as we are. And that that, is, that brings this level of like dread. That when we see someone bragging, we go, Oh man, I always thought that they were beyond that. I thought that <laughs> these people I aspired to, that they were mature enough that they wouldn't need that. The fact that they still have that impulse to like show you how great they're doing is discouraging because it reminds you that they're just as insecure as you are. Yeah. And um, anyway, let's go through the rest of the of the steps. Order. So step four, you have family, friends, good and healthy social life. Step five would be spirituality. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that's just seeking God and all things. And for me, the reason, I know it might be a little bit weird as to why that is step five and not step one. Mm-hmm. But for me... Well, you got to start with what you can do right now. Yeah, and so I think the food thing is like, this is what you can do within the next few hours. You yeah, know what I mean? absolutely. And so, and no, normally step five is something that you wouldn't even start working on until maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a few months of just those good, easy, not easy to do, mm. simple things mm-hmm. that you can start implementing today, like you said. Yeah. And then step six is actually setting goals. Your mm. mind is hopefully at this point clear enough to start saying, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to write every day. Hmm. I'd like to see, I'd like to lose twenty pounds. I'd like to, you know I'd, I'd like to maybe run a five k and I don't even know what a good time for yeah. a five k is. But right, that, that's when you start setting goals. And once you starting start setting goals, I believe you become capable of defining your purpose. Right. Let's go back to five because um, I I heard someone today I'm listening to an audiobook and the guy was saying that. A key part of happiness is you need to know that your life has meaning and that there's like an overall meaning. Yeah. And that, so for many people, um, for people who are atheists, they believe that there's no overall meaning, but they still act every day like there's a reason for them to live. Yeah. That their life means something because they just couldn't get out of bed if they didn't believe that. Like they, it's just necessary that they believe that their life means something, even though yours doesn't. And so, but a key part of, um, of getting the most out of life is having both of those things. Knowing that because there is an overall good and evil that you can attribute to, that you can make things better and or worse, that's where your personal meaning comes from, that you can help fight the tide in the right direction or you can give in to impulse and, and bring more and more chaos into the world and that what you do does matter. And that um, I heard someone else say that oftentimes we choose nihilism, we choose meaninglessness, because then it means we don't have to do anything, we don't have to be accountable to anything, nothing we do means anything, and that sucks, but the upside of that is we can just do whatever. So it's just the easy way out. We just prefer to not have this accountability that comes with the idea that every decision we make does affect other people. 
and does mean something. Yeah. And um, and that with that comes responsibility, but the upside um, is that with that comes meaning that um, you know you can tilt the world more towards chaos or more towards um, good goodness, really. But so that's five. And then um, anyway, so if you if you are an atheist leaning person, just be open to the idea that you need there to be a grand structure, even if you. I don't care if you have no faith at all. Just go, life goes better when people do have this. So let's be open to the idea that this is a key part of how life goes better. And then maybe the faith will follow later. But for now, just go, people that don't have this seems to go worse. People that do have this, it seems to go better. And that might not be a coincidence. Um, so six was what? <laughs> six was... <laughs> Step six um, is goals. Okay, yeah. And then let's go. So seven, seven is the last one, yeah. So let's talk about that. Seven's purpose. And so, uh, you know, another sort of grand idea that's hard to oh yeah, it quantify, is. You know, it is. Yeah, but I, I think that once you start setting goals and completing goals, it becomes easier to figure out what you may or may not be passionate about. Right. And uh, I, I, maybe you can share a little bit about that with your your goals with your music career and now your goals with your podcasting career. You seem to be much more passionate about this. Yeah. Do you feel like there... I don't know if the purpose is podcasting, but you, you yeah. know somewhere the purpose is somewhere right. along this path. I was thinking about this... Uh, I'm glad you asked that. Um, I was thinking about this today at work, that so many times we're so cynical and so jaded, and I've been in these shoes many times and probably months on end. You're so jaded that you just feel like, I'm not good at anything. I don't care about anything. I don't care. Like, I I suck at everything, and I don't care about anything. Like, I... And life is meaningless because of that. I wasn't born a some, like, piano god or whatever. Like, I'm not an Ellen or whatever. Like, there's nothing particularly special about me, and I don't really care about anything. Everything sucks, so just I'm just gonna <laughs> peace out from this world. I hate everything. You know, just like, I've been in those shoes. And so... I actually think, and I heard someone say that, like, that's actually not true. There are things that you do care about. So let's say you f- you feel like you're in those shoes, but you really care about Call of Duty, right? Or something like something that is, that the world tells you is totally pointless. So think about why it's meaningful to you. Because there's something that you care about. There's something that you do like. Even if it's something as um, shallow as a video game that there's a video game called Overwatch, which I've put, like, 450 hours into. (laughs) And I was thinking about, why have I put, like, 500 hours into this video game, but not very many hours into any other one? And so the reason for that is Overwatch is the game that I play with old friends of mine. So it's not really about the game. The game is just a conduit for me to talk to old friends of mine. And in that way, it has a huge amount of meaning to me, even though it's just a video game. And so, if there are things that seem meaningless that you do care enough about to do, because maybe you are super down and out and you feel like you just can't make yourself do anything, but you do play video games, you do watch TV, like, again, let's say there's a game you care a ton about and that when you play it with friends, the fact that you both connect to each other over something gives you this um, feeling of belonging, that when you like something and they like it, and when you enjoy it together, um, it brings you together, that that is where the meaning is, that that's why I do this podcast, is the same reason I play Overwatch, that um, I long for this um, deep connection to other people, and so whatever means bring that about is what I'll do, and that everything has an axis that it works on, 
and just like look at the things that you do care enough about to do and then figure out what are the like gears that make it work, you know? Mm -hmm. I was thinking about if you want to be a comedian, you have to say things that are surprising and honest and that anything that is both surprising and honest is funny. And so if you want to be a comedian, just focus on finding those things and everything has those things. Whatever, you know, you want to spend your life doing, look at the what is under it and how you could adopt that. But last thing um, to what he was saying about music is that I I write music and I started playing in front of people and I thought this is my dream and I always like from a little kid I always wanted to be that guy and I was like sort of becoming that guy um, but as I did it I always felt super alone as I would leave a place that I played and I would just feel real isolated and I feel more isolated the days it went good then it went bad, like, I would just feel more alone regardless. I just felt alone both times, good or bad. If they yeah. went bad, I felt weird and alone. And if it went really good, I felt more weird and more alone. <laughs> because I thought, now I'm selling people something, and now I am a hamster on a wheel. And I don't know how long I can keep this up, because now they buy it. And so since they do buy it, I gotta keep it going. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, even though it was... Uh, it seemed glamorous and of the jobs you could have it is a glamorous job I had no I had very little um, happiness from it very little like joy from it and so um, I would try to share really honestly between songs to try to make it mean something and and it would be really awkward and people wouldn't expect how like honest I was sharing and it was just like it was just awkward but I realized that those parts, the little parts I talked between the songs, that that was the thing that actually meant something. I would sing the song and be like, okay, that was great. But like, I really want it to mean something because I've been the awkward 15-year-old kid in the back of the room. Like, I've been him. So this is for him. So let's do anything that will get at what he's feeling right now. And so, um, anyway, the point was that going in that direction for a job and trying to be good at it was I just felt like I was a hamster on a wheel that if people think I'm cool then I have to be cooler and cooler and it is so unhealthy now and I'm a nobody that if you give me success and encourage me down this road that I will like I'll do worse and worse because this negative side of me is being encouraged my narcissism is being um, blessed and I just don't need that and um, so anyway so I started doing the podcast and the very first one I ever did because it was predominantly listening um, and it was really the person was really honest with me and I was really honest with them I was, it was so healthy that I just thought whatever this is I can do this forever because if it stays small forever it'll be really healthy and if it gets big it'll be really healthy because at it's heart it's a healthy thing Yeah. and so um as you look for what to spend your life doing, try to be analytical about why you actually like the things you do, what service they actually give you, and then don't necessarily go for the thing that is most glamorous, but go for the thing that suits the traits that you have and the needs that you have. That um, I seem more unique, and I certainly seemed more attractive to girls when I was doing music, but it did not. But I had much bigger needs that it could not meet. That something less glamorous did meet, and so you know not going for the glamour but going for something that really just fits the traits you have you don't have to have a glamorous job to have a job you find meaning in yeah 
but anyway, I really appreciate you um, making time to do this. And um, yeah, man, talk about your blog and where people can find it. Yeah, it's called betterthandepression.com, mm. and the sole purpose of it is myself and the reader just becoming better than depression. Mm. And it's uh, it, it, very simple steps, the steps we mentioned in the episode, but it, it just check it out and yeah. let me know what you think. Alrighty, guys, we will be back soon, and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Zach.